Welcome to episode 230 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we discuss the Eels' nepotism, the Panthers' arrogance, Canberra Raiders celebrating 40 years, PNG launching a bid to join the NRL, and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 230 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fan's perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T, and joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you doing this week? Oh, Dr. T, I am... Yeah, look, I'm doing fantastic. Um, you know, the NRL season, we've, uh, we've, you know, one third of the way already gone, and it's been amazing. And what an amazing round of footy. I think everybody's tips is going to be below 50% this week because there were so many upsets. It was so exciting to see. So, um, But there are two big teams still dominating. But, yeah, been awesome there, Dr. T. How about yourself? How's life on your end? Oh, look, it's, uh, it's, it's, well, look, it's not too good, is it? I mean, the Eels, what, what are they doing? They're, you know, look, the Eels dominates, uh, Obviously, my my weekend and my mind, and mm. uh, they uh, well, they're in the news for the wrong reasons. Unfortunately, not just because of the loss, but uh, the reasons surrounding it. As as I mentioned at the top of the show, and uh, we'll get into it soon. But yeah, the eels are kind of uh, well. There's a lot a lot of weird stuff happening at the moment. Actually, uh, it's not yeah. just the eels. It's uh, as you said. This uh, there's a lot of upsets happening and. Uh, we're a third of the way through in the season. The tips are, you know, you may as well just throw the tips away because uh, this week it's just been really hard to predict. And a lot of weird stuff going on, but there's a lot of cool stuff going on too yeah. in the world of rugby league. So we wanted to kind of talk, get some of that negative stuff out of the way in yeah. the first half of the show. And then we're going to look at some positives uh, you know, looking back in the past and looking forward to the future. We're going to do that later on. Um, and the one thread that ties all that together is Mal Meninga, uh, which, <laughs> which we'll get, if that's cryptic enough, we'll, we'll, we'll explain it later, but look, yeah, big weekend coming up in Australia. We've got mother's day this weekend. So, mm. you know, a, a big shout out and, and, uh, let's, let's dedicate this whole episode to all the mothers out there yeah. without whom, uh, you know, many of our young players won't, uh, you know, wouldn't be where they are. I mean, if it weren't for the mothers helping, helping out, volunteering, uh, taking kids to the games, helping them through their injuries, you know, living life, uh, living their kids' lives vicariously through them. Yeah. Uh, in 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 the form of rugby league, uh, you know, so many of our stars wouldn't be where they are today. And so, you know, big shout out to all the mothers out there. Um, hope hope you all have a wonderful weekend of rugby league. Yeah, I hope rugby league is central to that, and uh, and yeah, so I'd like to dedicate this to all mothers out there for all that you do to make the rugby league world go round. Yeah, and don't forget to buy a mother for your mother. I'm talking about the mother energy drink. 
They deserve it. Um, that's a least we are not sponsored. Do. We are not, not sponsored. sponsored okay, by... yeah. <laughs> no, no, we shouldn't do that. All right. Let's look, let's launch right into our tackles, shall we? There's a lot to talk about. So let's go round. Uh, well, tackle number one, we uh, review round eight of the NRL. Here we go. All right. Round eight review. Um, I'll go quickly through the scores and some key info, and uh, then we'll talk about what are our highlights of the weekend. But as Tish alluded to, there were quite a few upsets to talk about, so there's quite a few highlights potentially there. Let's go through it. So Broncos 16 upset the Sharks 7 in front of a crowd of 16,000 at Suncorp Stadium on the Thursday night game. Two Friday night games, the Titans are beaten by the Panthers 18 points to 4. Uh, in front of 14,000. The Rabbitohs flogging the Seagulls 40 to 22 at Central Coast Stadium in front of 17,000. The Warriors upsetting the Raiders 21 20 at Morton Daly Stadium in front of 6,000 or so. The Bulldogs, the big upset 16 to 12 over the Sydney Roosters at Stadium Australia in front of a dismal 9,000 uh, on the Saturday Twilight game. Uh, the Eels. Upset by the Cowboys, 35-4 to at uh, TIO Stadium in Darwin uh, uh, in front of 10,000 or so fans. The Storm, 50 points to two against the Knights at McDonald Jones Stadium in Newcastle in front of 15,000 or so. And finally, the Dragons, 12-6 over the Tigers at Wynn Stadium in front of a crowd of 16 or so thousand. Tish, as you said earlier, a lot of upsets. Um, what was your highlight of the round? Yeah, look, what I'd have to say, Dr. T, that, um, you know, if I really am thinking about, you know, uh, this, I'm also thinking that this is actually, uh, well, we're celebrating, uh, you know, World Star Wars Day, May the 4th, right? So, um, obviously, we're recording this show um, on that week, actually, on that day. So, I'm thinking what Star Wars episode uh, would best describe this week. And I think it has to be The Last Jedi, right? Because that had the most <laughs> criticism and that actually had the most upset fans, right? And we don't really have upset <laughs> fans, but we have the most upsets this round, right? So, look, I don't think, yeah, as I said, look, um, who would have thought the Bulldogs can beat the Roosters, right? Um, that That is probably the one that tops it off. Um, I think, I mean, obviously the Seagull um, Rabbitohs game. Uh, well, actually, you know, let's start off with the Brisbane Broncos and Cronulla Sharks, right? We were talking about Talakai uh, last week, you know, Origin Bolter, um, yeah. you know, yeah. could, you know, like yeah, could play for, for New South Wales, could play for Australia. You know, he could even be Prime Minister, uh, you know, by the end of the month, right? That's how, that's how much we we're praising him. But then he gets uh, he gets beaten left, right and centre by um, the Brisbane Broncos um uh, for feeder, right? Um, no, Katoni Stags. Uh, Tony Stags. Katoni Stags. That's it. Sorry, Katoni so, Stags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that, that kind of uh, kind of said, you know what? May, may, maybe, it, maybe the Sharks aren't uh, there yet. I mean, they're probably building, but they're not there. So I think, I, th- I think those two are probably the ones that stand out in mind. I mean, the rest of them were were um, you know some of them were were a bit harder to pick as well. I think even the the Gold Coast were were leading uh, the Panthers at one stage, and then yeah. Uh, I think yeah, Parramatta. You know that uh, that sh- that result really surprised me, and and I'm sure we're going to talk more about that. But how about yourself, there, Doctor C? 
Well, yeah, look, we're trying now nowadays to teach, sort of come up with just the one highlight if we can on the weekend. But okay, sorry. there were really there were so many things to talk about. Really, there's almost one per game, and so I there were some that I could I, I would let me do this like the Oscars. I'm going to put some nominees, and then I'll tell you which one was out was my sort mm. of pick of the week. So as you said, the Broncos against the Sharks. I think the the, well, not so much a highlight, but the thing I noticed watching that game is that the Sharks, like Nico Hines, really lost his way towards the end of that game. They were just, they were still within sh- uh, a shot of, of uh, you know, of winning potentially that game or fighting back, but they were just uh, beaten. Uh, and and I think that you know credit to the Broncos for. Uh, for what they did, but the Sharks really, I think, lost the plot there at the end. And I think some question marks about Nico Hines and, uh, you know, made some very bad errors towards the end there. Um, fast forward to Saturday night or Saturday afternoon game and a big comeback by the Warriors against wow. the Raiders uh, saw them go to Golden Point and then Sean Johnson, as he typically does, kicks the field goal to win the game. Um this is a what is it a ninety point turnaround from from the the storm being beaten seventy to ten against the storm last week to come back and win in against the Raiders while they were you know they were get, they were being defeated they were losing yeah. um, so they turned it around within the game and I think that was you know again that's worthy of a nomination. Uh, fast forward to the Saturday Twilight game. The Bulldogs, obviously, you know, really, really gutsy win against the Roosters. Very, very highly favoured. Um, and, uh, you know, and then fast forward even further to the Sunday Twilight game or, you know, afternoon game, Dragons against the Tigers. Again, a gutsy win, probably not as high quality as some of the other games, but, um, you know, the Dragons did what they needed to do and they're on three wins in a row. So, um Lots of good highlights, but I, in my mind, while the Warriors one came a close second, I think what the Bulldogs did to defeat the Roosters, um, you know, given the controversy that surrounding Gus Gould's kind of uh, interference at training last week, you know, there were talks about, what well, you know, how could a coach... Uh, you know, the, the coach's days are numbered when Gus Gould run, runs in and starts running training. Well, you know, like it all or, or not, uh, it seems to have worked because whatever whatever they did, it fired them up and, you know, the, the Roosters were going all right and the, the, the Bulldogs played a typical kind of Bulldogs. It's It was a Bulldogs-Roosters game, you know, reminiscent of that grand final win in 2004, uh, you know, it, it's a, just a gutsy win and it was close all the way. So to me, that was a highlight of the weekend. And that's, you know, as an Eels fan, I don't often like saying, you know, a Bulldogs game is a highlight, but um, what they showed, the kind of effort that they put in and, and the grit that they showed, I think well done to the Bulldogs. So yeah, Tish, any other last comments before we move on? Well, I know we're not going to talk about it this week, but I think there is um I'm just going to give you a number, Dr. Tenner, and I'll give you I'll give you a guess as to what this means. Um, it is 182. Um, is that number of uh, passes that the Eels uh, did to no one? <laughs> well, may well maybe, but I don't think so. I don't think so. But 182. 
stands for the number of minutes it's been of active rugby league time since the Newcastle Knights have scored a try. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, oh no, that's so, depressing. So, yeah, they only scored, uh, uh, you know, a, a penalty goal this week. They only scored a penalty goal last week. And then against the uh, Dragons, the last time they scored was in the 58th minute, right? So um, there are some teams definitely on the slide. Um, yeah, and then it's, yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. And look, on the, on the, on the flip side, the Melbourne Storm, you know, um, 70 points last week, more than 50 points this week. Uh, you know, 122 points in the last two weeks. Amazing, right? Uh, where they're, they're at at the moment. So, um, but look, we're heading into a very interesting time as well. So, like, you know, the next, you know, eight to nine rounds, we're going to have, you know, the 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 magic round. We're going to have origin interruptions. We're going to have buys. We're going to have so many different things. Um, international round coming up as well. So, you know, uh, I think as we head towards mid-season, it's going to be... Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be a very interesting time in the NRL and, and quite excited to see what's going to, you know, the type of footy that's going to be played, not just this weekend. I think this weekend coming up is going to be fantastic, but I think over the next few weeks, I think some of the games that are uh, coming up are going to be absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to tackle number two. Uh, here we go. Tackle number two, the eels nepotism. <laughs> so what this refers to is uh, the controversy surrounding the eels' loss to uh, uh, who is it? Who was it that beat us? The North, the North Queensland Cowboys. Um, there was uh, a, a lot of uh, chatter online, a lot of people really upset about the eels. Now, had you not known any better, you would have thought, well, that was – a good win by the Cowboys, etc. But there was, uh, you know, people were very quickly pointing out uh, an obvious reason why the Eels, you know, failed to score a try. Uh, and uh, well, actually, did they score a try? Well, they they failed to. Well, they failed to really get their attacking gear. Let me let me just put it that way. And one of the reasons is that um, that. Brad Arthur, the coach, moved for this game. Dylan Brown, the one of the inform five eights in the competition, moved him to centre and installed his son Jake Arthur mm. into uh, the five eighth role. Um, Jake Arthur's very young, and he, uh, you know, uh, th- there was calls afterwards, obviously, of um, with all the criticism that went his way, people were sort of saying it's not fair, it's cyberbullying, that kind of thing. Um, and and I guess, I, you know, and some people quite rightly sort of saying, well, he's not really first-grade quality. Uh, there were other options, and why why change something if if it's working for you with Dylan Brown? You know, surely you could have put someone else in the centres and kept Dylan Brown where he is with Moses in the five eighth halfback role. Uh, very disappointing that Brad Arthur did that. Um, I can't really justify or or uh, you know his decision. I can't defend it. I mean, um, you know, so when people are, are complaining and and calling calling it out as nepotism i find it hard to see it any other way which mm-hmm. makes it extremely disappointing and uh you know there's some of the the greats of the of uh, of the eels uh, including ray price have come out and sort of said similar things about 
um, you know, the the very poor decision by the coach to do that. Uh, you know, and, and to put, to be honest, to put his young son, uh, inexperienced son, in a very difficult position as well, uh, thrust him into the spotlight, into a position where we're already up performing well and we've got one of the form five eights in the competition so it, the eels is it nepotism is the question uh i put it to you tish i i think it is and i think it sort of shows it's another nail in the brad arthur coffin in the sense that you know a lot of people have been calling for him to you know to to quit or to be sacked uh in over the last few years acknowledging that he hasn't really taken us to that next level uh, while we accept that he was very integral to us uh, getting up off the canvas when when things went haywire several years ago. So it's tough, isn't it, when, you know, you want to be grateful for the people who brought you to where you are, but at the same time, it's clear that he's not really potentially uh, got the, the skill level or uh, the the wisdom, shall we say, to take us to that next level. And uh, it all boils down to this, the eel's nepotism, uh, I guess my question to you, Tish, do you see it as a as a uh, as an outsider? Do you see it as nepotism or just ball coach's decision? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I, I think okay. I don't, I don't know if I could say it's nepotism just quite yet, but what I do uh, look first thing right now, if you go into any of the headlines and and everybody talks about what they're talking about, is saying that the fans are out of line with the comments and he's being trolled and it's been pretty hurtful and all that kind of stuff. And look, these social media platforms, yes, there are lots of trolls out there. People um, are allowed to share their opinion anonymously. Um, you know, we just heard news. Elon Musk has actually finalized his purchase of Twitter and making it private to add more rules and stuff like that. So maybe what we're looking at is, is probably not going to, um, you know, uh, maybe, maybe that situation will change. Um, but the truth is everything, and I'm not on, I haven't seen the tweets, like all of the ones that they're talking about, but the ones that I've seen screen captures for on, um, um, you know, on, on, you know, online and so forth, I don't actually see anything that isn't um, just fans commenting, really. I don't, I mean, I haven't seen anything that is like super nasty yet. I mean, there could be out there, but I, I haven't seen it. I've just seen like observations of upset fans, right? And it's actually the Parramatta tweet that is like, hey, is not funny. Like, you know, hey, guys, give him some confidence and all this kind of stuff. And um, and I'm just thinking, well, like, you know, uh, why do the fans always get blamed <laughs> for having an opinion, right? You know, journalists are allowed to have opinion. Former players are allowed to have opinions, um, you know, and, you know, uh, you know, fans, they're allowed to pay their money to, to watch the game. They're allowed to watch it on TV and boost up the ratings, um, you know, to help, you know, the NRL obviously, um, you know, get multi-million dollar deals. But they're not allowed to have an opinion, uh, even on social media. Um, but that's, I think, I think the hatred towards the fans is a little concerning, <laughs> to be fair, because, like, you should give them a voice. Like, I think uh, even if you are a fan, you should be able to, to sometimes be disappointed in your team and being expressing it. Now, is it unfair that it's been all directed at Jake Arthur? I, I think it is because um, he's a player playing and he's been picked and, you know, he's, he's he happens to be the son's, co you know, his father happens to be the son. Well, or whatever. Yeah. 
you, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> he's a coach's son. He's, he's a, a coach's son. son. He's a coach's yeah. son. So, 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 like, I don't think he could do much, right? Um, so, uh, so the thing is, like, so it, it's probably a bit unfair that it's been all directed towards him. Um, but I think this is actually there's actually a much more hidden issue that I have here. Uh, that that I think as soon as you start taking the focus on Jake Arthur or Jacob Arthur, you kind of um, forget something else that's really important that that's actually happened here, right? And that is how the Eels have treated Dylan Brown, okay? Because Dylan Brown, at the moment, um, if you think about in Form 5 eighths in the competition, like part of the spine, one of the most important positions in the field, he's got to be number two, number three, or he could I, – I mean, I think he's behind Munster, but I don't think, um, you know, I don't think Cody Walker's playing better than him at the moment. I think he's playing better than probably Cody Walker, right? Um, and the other person that you've got is Jerome Luai, who's been playing fantastic as well. So he's probably number three, I would say, um, in terms of five eighths at the moment, right? Um, and, you know, his favorite position is five eighths. Why take him out of five eighths, right, to fill a center position when you've got Jacob Arthur who could play center? Like, aren't you supposed to protect your top players, right? You know, um, you don't you don't have your top players playing out of position, right? There's a reason why James Tedesco plays fullback, even though you've got uh, for New South Wales, even though you've got Tom Trebojevic and um, you know and Latrell Mitchell, um, who are sort of uh, also in the in the squad, and that's because you know um, you know James Tedesco is the incumbent with seniority. He he's a captain. And he's done a job for New South Wales and he's done a great job and you can't fault him for any job that he's done. So he gets to keep that jersey. Um, you know, what does, was it, what is it saying about um, the Parramatta Eels, the leadership group's opinion and, you know, Brad Arthur's opinion of Dylan Brown when you could take uh, one of your most best players and just take him out of position um, to put somebody else in, right? Um I think that is kind of the concerning thing. So, look, all I've got to say to Dylan, we'd love to have you at the West Tigers. You know, the fans will treat you right. I'm sure Madge will treat you right. Come aboard, Dylan Brown. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the Tigers, Tish, because (laughs) I blame Michael Maguire for this nonsense. I think Brad Arthur looked at what Michael did with switching up the, the halves and probably thought, it's worked for them. Uh, maybe I can do it. Um, unfortunately, Brad, we were already winning. <laughs> we were going great guns, mm. but uh, you know, it, and, and look, it's not all about this. This isn't. There was no guarantee, even if we had our regular squad, that we would have beaten the Cowboys um, anyway. But um, you know, we've shown enough this year to show that we're we're contenders. Definitely more than. Uh, I guess more than some of the other teams, probably more even than the Cowboys. Um, and mm. so this is why this uh, result took us surprise, took us by surprise. And um, but yeah, I think uh, in all seriousness, I think it's, I think the discussion has been more towards anger towards Brad Arthur, and and the fact that it seems like nepotism at face value. Um, you know, there was. You're right. There were other options. Other options would have been keep Brown where he is. If we've got a deficiency in the centres, try Bryce Cartwright in there. I mean, he was our. He's been our game winner before. He's got you know issues with defence, but 
he needs game time, you know, mm. put him there. Um, it also gives you an extra dimension in attack. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, some of the the highlights of the year, including that amazing try by uh, Mitchell Moses, was uh, it did involve a Bryce Cartwright, you know, flick pass. So, you know, like there's there's a there's an element of understanding when people have anger directed towards the coach. Uh, it just so happens that yeah, it it appears that it's all. And this is the other thing. I think it's a it's a bit of a manipulative tactic to sort of say, oh, let's focus on the fact that some people have said some nasty words to the actual son, uh, Jake, Jacob Arthur, uh, as opposed to the, the, the person who's causing this, which is the father, the coach, mm. um, you know, I think that's, it's a bit like taking one or two comments out of context and blowing it up and pretending like as if that's actually happening and it's much more prevalent than it is. I don't think it is. I, as you said, I've looked at some screenshots. I've looked at lots of online chatter about this, and I can tell you that the majority of the anger is towards Brad Arthur, nothing mm. to do with Jacob. In fact, a lot of people are sympathetic to Jacob and think that he is he's not really ready for first grade and his father has not done uh, had you know has the not not performed his duty of care to look after one of his players let alone his son by thrusting him in the limelight unnecessarily um so i think a lot of it's still against Brad Arthur and that's the way it should be but look i asked i started this with by asking the question is it nepotism and and I guess the, the the question that in my kind of final conclusion is well, it can't be seen any other way. I mean, there's no, mm. there was absolutely no reason to shift uh, Dylan Brown to the centres because of his form. You could have found another option, and the fact that the only option that was chosen was one to disrupt. You know, you don't weaken a strength to strengthen your weakness, as Gus yeah. Gould used to say. And I think <laughs> that's what he did, Brad Arthur, and. Uh, you know, and and I think I think all the charges of nepotism and all the anger towards him is completely justified, mm. and it also calls into question, as I said before, Brad Arthur's wisdom as a coach. And I think uh, I think a lot of Parramatta Eels fans will be very wary about predictions of grand final success this year, with when this kind of uh, decision making comes about. So, um, all right. I'll leave it there and let's move on to the next tackle, which is about the Panthers' arrogance. Here we go. All right, tackle number three, Panthers' arrogance. Tish, there has been a lot of chatter in the last few weeks about how arrogant the Panthers are, you know, post-try celebrations, the way they, uh, you know, the way they kind of, uh, they just come across as quite arrogant. Now, I wanted to ask you, I guess, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Do you agree with some of the the criticisms levelled at the young Panthers side? Are they arrogant or are they just sort of super happy and super excited and and passionate about uh, when things go their way. What do you reckon? So, Dr. T, the Penrith Panthers, are they arrogant, as you asked? Look, I think it's definitely getting there if it hasn't already got there. Um, The fact that uh, after last year's grand final, even Greg Alexander, who's involved with the club and involved with the squad, told him to pull their heads in, (laughs) right, with some (laughs) of the things they were doing. I think 
And, you know, like uh, one of the things they did, I think they sang the South Sydney team song, um, <laughs> you know, as like a celebration. And um, a few weeks ago against the Raiders, their fans called on to something like this and they actually did the Viking clap when they were destroying oh. <laughs> the, the Canberra Raiders. So, so look, um, and and I did hear I did hear some people talk about this, and I kind of agree. I think it was Laurie Daly who said this that um, I think the Panthers it, it is good they can celebrate. They're on top of the world. They're the first team in like in a long time to ha- um, win their first eight games um, straight for two years in a row. Um, but they have just put karma against them, <laughs> right? Because there'll be a time where things aren't going to be up and up. And it's going to happen at the worst possible time for the Panthers. So, um, yeah. So I think that 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 probably that that um, while they will enjoy it, and you know what, they deserve it. Like they're they're really they are a bit of an unstoppable unit. Although they did struggle a little bit against the Titans, they've got two really big games coming up. They haven't won anything in 2022 yet, um, and you know there are other teams that are building. So it is going to be interesting to see. Um, and there are other teams that could, if they had better team selection, <coughs> Paramount Eels, um, that I think can <laughs> challenge them, you know. Uh, and um, let's not forget, they probably should have won that game against Paramount. Uh, Paramount should, should beat them in the um, in the grand final qualifier last year. So I don't think they're as um, elite as what um, they think they are. <laughs> <laughs> right, but but I think yeah. Look, where do you draw the line between you know unbelievable confidence and arrogance? Like, you know, wh- where is that line? I think they're they're so at the border of the line that there are times that they do cross over. That's what I would say. How about yourself, Doctor T? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it all boils down to how do people when people say and and you know look. When you say that a team or a player is arrogant, what do you mean exactly? And I think that's something that's been interesting. Um, there's, for whatever reason, there's some Panthers that are getting a really bad rap by a lot of people online. Um, you know, so as an example, you know, I've seen lots of comments about Jerome Luai. You know, you've heard the phrase when people say, geez, that, that, that's a punchable face, <laughs> that kind of thing. People Ooh, saying this yeah. about Jerome, Jerome Luai and people mm. like that. And I and I just think, what do people mean by that? <laughs> like how how messed up do you have to be that you you kind of just think, oh, I really hate this person so much. So this to me, in my mind, there's this unnecessary kind of hatred of certain players. I don't know why. I think some players just rub people the wrong way. Yeah. And I'd like to understand why that is because I look at Jerome Luai. I don't see someone – I personally don't see someone who's arrogant. Um, I see him as just – he's almost got like a childlike passion and enjoyment of the game. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's something good. He's – you know, he he smiles like a child does, you know. He's so happy. Um, we don't – we very rarely see that. We see a lot of um, – uh, well, I guess it's uh, who is it's the Broncos do this in particular. They do this kind of chest beating kind of uh, bro kind of uh, thing when they score a try. It's, it's almost like a, I think it's almost become a meme. In fact, that the Broncos do this when when they score a try and and they pump each other up kind of thing. Um, you might say that's their arrogant behaviour. 
you know, you might say that that is kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, the kind of behavior that rubs people the wrong way. I personally don't think so either. But I mean, I'm I'm just saying that there's you could equally look at Clint Gutherson's um, little uh, dance. Hawaiian Hawaiian <laughs> dance or whatever he does whenever he scores a try, <laughs> which which some have put it back in his face. By the way, when they when they've scored on top of him, and so again, do you look at it as gee, that's a character, that's a fun someone having fun, as opposed to oh, that's arrogant. They're they're rubbing they're rubbing. Uh, Rubbing it in the face of uh, of, of the person that they just scored the try over, yeah. um, you know, of their opponents. Now, uh, mate, I don't. I think some people who are getting so offended about this and so quick to say this is arrogance did not grow up in the eighties or nineties at the very end. Let not to even mention the seventies when. You know, when you got over the top of your opponent, you barked in their face, and you really, you know, there was no holding back it was you are there to destroy your opponent psychologically you know and then after maybe have have a drink with them but you know if you look at the old school tommy rodonica's way of looking at it you know having you know barking at your opponent yelling at them that's not arrogance that's just you psychologically getting an edge over them but i don't even think the the panthers do this so look again i question um, is it arrogance or is it just people have another problem with the fact that these guys are, are having success at the moment and they're enjoying it? And yeah. I think it's not enjoyable when someone rubs uh, rubs it in your face. But at the same time, you know, the while these guys are entertainers, they're also sportsmen. They're there to win. That's their job. And if that means, uh, you know, having fun and if they're able to have fun while doing it, I think that's a great thing. But, yeah, um, Look, your final words on that, Tish? Well, look, according to the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, arrogant is exaggerating or disposed to exaggerate one's own worth or importance often by an overbearing manner. Or number two, showing an offensive attitude of superiority proceeding from or categorised by arrogance. Now, they celebrate, but all teams celebrate when they score tries. All teams celebrate when they win, right? Um I don't think they're intentionally trying to show that they're superior than others. Um, if you think about it, they're really quite humble when it comes to some of the interviews um, that they have. They're very quite thankful and grateful for the opportunity to play rugby league and to play the opportunity for Penrith. So I think it, the feeling of superiority, I don't think is necessarily coming from uh, them, but I think it's more how other people feel about them because of their winning ways, right? So I don't think it's actually arrogance at all. Um, there is one incident that happened a few years ago where Jerome intentionally, and you see the footage, there's no doubt about it. You know, there's no need for him to do it, but he did He did um, stomp on Cody Nikorima's head once uh, for no reason, right? So he does have little things like that in the game, right? But... Like stuff like that, there is a bit of a line, and I think in that incident he crossed over, and he might be sort of a talker, but I think he's just trying to be annoying. I don't think he's sort of necessarily being like it's gamesmanship, as opposed to like you know uh, authoritative behaviour type of thing. So I think the Panthers, um, you know, we're all jealous of them because they're doing well, <laughs> right? So um, I, I don't think I should mistake in our own jealousy. For the, for arrogance, because because I, I think it's it's probably the former, not the latter.
Yeah. Can I, I permission to have the last word on this? Because you raised a very interesting thing about Jerome Luai has also been called a grub by many people. Yeah. And you're right. That incident, you know, and there, there are probably others as well. Not not the best look, and you know that that certainly. I don't see it that often anymore. I don't think he is a grub. Yeah. I think people maybe are remembering certain events. But let me just play it. Let me just flip the script a little bit. So in contrast, Melbourne Storm have been consistently good for so long. Um, you know, at the moment, they're in uh, one of the, the hottest purple patches that you'll ever see, you know, 120 points in two games. Unbelievable at the moment. And one of the key reasons for that is Cameron Munster who himself, uh, you know, sometimes bears the brunt, especially with how good he's played at state of origin level uh, of being a New South Wales most hated player, you know. Um, however, we're not hearing, uh, and and certainly Munster has been guilty of many more grubby acts in the last few years than Jerome Luai, as far as I can tell. Um, yet he is not mentioned in the same way as being arrogant, you know, um, and I think to your point about Jerome Luai's sort of those that little those grubby little things that he that he has done in the past, and that others are still seeing that he's doing now. I think they're different things. I think mm. one's been annoying. You know, like Jonathan Thurston used to do this all the time. Not yeah. once did have I heard people say he was arrogant when he slapped uh, New South Welshman in a state of origin game. You know, in in a bid to try and get them riled up and to retaliate. No one, not once did people say that was arrogant. They thought it was annoying and he was trying to get a reaction and that's what a pest does, um, but not arrogant. And so I find it really fascinating that people are conflating, you know, uh, being annoying to being, uh, you know, being arrogant. So I think, yeah, again, um, at the moment, it's the tall poppy thing. I think a lot of it is Panthers are defending premiers, Despite the fact that the the storm are going great guns at the moment, I think the Panthers are still, you know, considered sort of uh, the defending premiers have been performing well. They're undefeated this year, so really everyone's out out to get them. They're gunning for them, and I think uh, arrogance is almost an assured uh, reaction to that, or calls for arrogance, uh, you know, claims that they're arrogant is almost guarantee in this situation. So anyway, that's my final word. But we did say we had some negative things to talk about. So now that that's out of the way, let's talk about the positive things. So this year is Canberra Raiders' 40th anniversary. That's right. They came into the uh, the then New South Wales Rugby League in 1982. It is now 2022. And Tish, the Canberra Raiders, they have had some great success over the years. Unfortunately, once over your well, former Bowmane Tigers in the 89, the famous 89 grand final, of which many consider to be the best grand final of all time. And uh, beyond that, we thought it would it would be uh, an occasion for us to look back at the greatest Canberra Raiders players in the last 40 years, uh, in their first 40 years of existence. And there have been a great many players, uh, mm. you know, that we can talk through. But um, how about we do that? Let's create uh, a squad, uh, a team of 17, 13 plus four reserves and a coach 
looking back at the greatest Canberra Raiders of all time. Here we go. Let's start with fullback Tish. I don't think there's any doubt that the greatest ever fullback for uh, for the Canberra Raiders was the great Queenslander, Gary Belcher. Uh, you know, Gary Belcher was one of those, you know, at the time he it was Gary Belcher and it was a, the Battle of the Garys. Gary yeah. Belcher and Gary Jack from the Bowman Tigers were constantly vying for, uh, you know, the top fullback position in the Kangaroos. Uh, I think overall it's fair to say that Gary Belcher probably won that particular duel, but but it was very close. Um, you could easily rely on both Garys to be, uh, you know, superb in defence, but also in Gary Belcher's case, he was also a, a useful additional playmaker. What do you think, Gary Belcher? Yeah, look, I think Gary Belcher was, um, yeah, he was a great player. Like, you know, and um, what I'd say with Gary Belcher, he's kind of a, um, I think he's a, a transitional fullback in that I think he kind of uh, made the position his own. He added some elements to it. He was always a threat in attack. You know, the modern sort of second 5 eighth role that the fullback plays, I think, you know, the player that, like one of the players that sort of pioneered that type of play is Gary Belcher. Um, and because he wasn't just a, you know, the last line of defense, he wasn't just safe under the high ball. You know, he was an extra element in attack that you had to worry uh, about. Um, so I think Gary Belcher is great. And I think he's been a great analyst of the game since he's left as well. So yeah, definitely there. But look, you know, there is somebody else that's also been a good fullback um, for Canberra as well. I think it's one position that they're blessed with, even to today uh, today with uh, Charles, Charles Nickel clock said. But, yeah, continue on, Dr. C. Yeah, and I think you were referring to Brett Mullins, uh, who mm. also made the fullback position his own. Some really great, um, you know, memories of him scoring an amazing, you know, try in uh, individual try in State of Origin. Uh, but in terms of playing for the Raiders, I mean, he was one of the main reasons why they were so dominant in the early 90s as well. Um, but we've had to put him on the wing. And joining him on the other wing is Noah Nadruku. Uh, of course, uh, you know, famous uh, Fijian, was he? Was yeah. Fijian, right? Yeah, famous Fijian. I think one of the first... Would it be one of the first sort of main major Fijian kind of stars in the NRL? Um, and uh, look, really, Nadruku, you he, I mean, he was explosive, fast, but had a strength about him that, uh, you know, and had so much success. And without him, I think, um, you know, I think I don't think they, that that the Raiders would have had that success in in the mid, uh, you know, early to mid nineties. Uh, and, and, yeah, Brett Mullins. So our wingers, our best wingers of all time are Nadruku and Mullins. Uh, Tish, uh, do you have any particular thoughts on either of those wingers? Oh, look, I think um, Brett Mullins, to me, has scored the – I mean, it is one of the greatest tries of all time, if not the greatest try, the, the double kick and chase um, that he pulled off against the Knights. I thought that was absolutely phenomenal. And no one in Druku, I mean, um, I'm not too sure if he was the first Fijian in the NRL, but he was definitely one of the early pioneers. And I think without him, I don't think Fiji would have been as strong because I, I think he was kind of the like the first one, right? And he was like, the first real superstar. And Superstar, um, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. first superstar, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, those long-range 80 
to 100 meter tries that Canberra would score on a regular basis. Um, typically, would have himself, um, Brett Mullins, um, you know, and there's some others that I unfortunately couldn't make the list, like Chica Ferguson, also part of that as well, right? And then, um, yeah, so so definitely some some great players um, in, in the wingers, uh, yeah. Yeah, you talk about yeah John Ferguson, of course, uh, an omission, unfortunately, um, from this squad because of the strength of Nadruka and Mullins, and, um, and maybe modern day play Jordan Rapana. He's he's really good too. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. And look, we've we've tried. Look, we know that we, when we first started looking at it, building the squad here, we thought it's going to be mainly from the nineties, obviously, because they had such great success, and there was so those. Those teams were so star-studded, but we've had to really consider case by case. Um, and you'll see in the centres, so we've chosen Mal Meninga and Jack Whiten. Now, Mal Meninga obviously goes without saying, you know, um, he's not one of the immortals, but he probably will be. Or is he one of the immortals? No, he's not. Um, but, look, he deserves – he's probably the, the greatest Canberra Raider of all time, without doubt, mm. um, just in terms of the – the leadership that qualities that he showed, um, you know, without him, I don't think they would have had any success, uh, anywhere near the success that they had. And Jack Wyden is there purely because, look, in terms of other centres, um, you know, Jack Wyden has shown, even though they're still a bit ahead of him in his career, uh, you know, the level of success he's had uh, recently with uh, Dally M, uh, medalist of the year and all that kind of thing, Clive Churchill medal. You know, this is someone who, um, you know, when still needs to grow into the role but has so much potential, but also, um, yeah, has uh, has already shown some great success uh, in this position. But, um, yeah, we thought we needed to include Jack Whiten in there somewhere to represent more, more of the modern era. Um Shall we move on to, well, the easiest selection of all of this is the scrum, uh, the scrum base. Uh, well, we used to be, we used to just talk about half and five eight, but through the Canberra Raiders and through one player in particular at lock, we now talk about the scrum, uh, what, what do we call it? The scrum base combination of the five eight halfback and lock and it's no doubt Laurie Daly at 5'8", Ricky Stewart at halfback, and at lock, Bradley Clyde. These three, you know, you could build, and that we did build, uh, the most, the greatest kangaroo sides around these three players. Um, you know, it's the equivalent of, uh, what would this be the equivalent of, Tisha would be the equivalent of, uh, you know, having Messi and Ronaldo mm. and Pele all in the one team um you know it, it's it was literally that kind of uh luck that canberra had them all together but no not not really luck because it was really all about um you know they, they were brought along together and they grew together as players and ended up being absolute uh once in a generation type players um yeah what are your thoughts let's stick with daily stewart clyde all together uh you know what are your thoughts about that? Would you consider this the greatest scrum scrum based combination of all time? Yeah, well, I think um, for uh, for a an NRL club, longevity of of this combination, I think yeah, Daly and Stewart 
Um, and then with uh, uh, Clyde as well, I think. I think, yeah, I, th- I think. I think. Yeah, the greatest, like the greatest that I've ever seen. I, I really can't think of any other combination like that because I mean, they're like um, they're like picked first for Australia, <laughs> right? Like that's the that's the first pick that you have, and this is the you know the the basis of the scrum. Um, this is like you know uh, part of the spine. Um, and you had like you know um, the kicking ability, the running game, the passing ability. They had it all, and um, you know like this entire backline is is unbelievable, right? And the thing is, they all play together. <laughs> like you know, eighty eight or well, not eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety, ninety one grand finals, the ninety four grand final. Um, you know, all, all those years in the Super League and so forth. This is this is the team, right? Like, like they all played together, apart from obviously Jack White and, um, but but what but what a what a lineup. So yeah, yeah, you're right. And look, when we talk about the perfect kind of uh, halves combination, we talk about we need one player who has a great kicking game and is a is a game manager. And structures the structure of the team is around them. The little general at halfback, and that was pretty much Ricky Stewart, perfect mm. to a T. Um, he could get you out of tight situations with the best kicking game in the league, the best long range kick kicks. Um, in terms of short kicks, no one better than Laurie Daly. I would argue he was the X factor. He was at five eighth. Um, the the spark he was the intelligence he was a, he was he would be looking at what's in front of him and finding gaps for his centers and imagine having Mal Meninga outside you as you know the player that's going to be put through a hole I mean you're ver- virtually guaranteed to score a try if you're close to the line and you're Laurie Daly and you've got Mal Meninga next to you um, and then Bradley Clyde I mean he revolutionised lock to the point the the role of the lock to the point where you know, the fact that we're even just talking about a a spine plus a lock uh, tells you everything you need to know. And Brad Clyde is the one that did that. Um, you know, it could be argued that someone like a Wayne Pierce had a very, uh, you know, seminal role in the changing of of the of what a, a lock looks like but Bradley Clyde really took it to the next level he was dominant he was uh like a Ray Price perpetual Mr perpetual machine perpetual motion or whatever his name was and you know that kind of thing but yeah absolutely also ball playing also just a brilliant defender um yeah Clyde Stewart Daly brilliant scrum based combination can't go past them now we move to the second rowers, and we've chosen to that again. A lot of these are from the same era, but they have different sort of skill sets to bring to the greatest team here. Um, one is David Ferner. Now David Ferner was a brilliant goal kicker, but also he had an an amazing kind of ball plane. He was a ball plane second rower who also was able to find gaps. And then you look at the, the other play we've selected, Ruben Wiki, who is widely considered, you know, one of the greatest New Zealand players of all time. Um, at the Raiders, he was uh, he played at centre, but also um, at second row. And so we've decided to put him in the second row because he was, uh, you know, so dominant um, in in that position as well. And, and also to sort of contrast him with David Ferner. So Tish, Wiki and Ferner, what do you reckon? Oh, look, hands down, um, you know, 
picked in any squad any time of the week. If you've got these guys available, you're going to pick them. Um, David Ferner, you know, all-time legend, just with the fact that he's a second row that that, ha- that kicks – you know, kicks penalty goals, kicks uh, kicks conversions, and he was uh, he was fairly accurate with the boot, right? Like he was, uh, well, I want to say like you know high seventies, maybe eighty uh, percent sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So 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 definitely, um, you know, some great players and uh, and and look, Ruben Wiki um, was also like you know I I think he had a time in the centres as well, um, as well. So so across the board, and I think he was. Um, you know, a very, uh, you know, he sort of was one of those players where, you know, kind of helped um, New Ze- the New Zealand international team, um, you know, get to that 2008 World Cup. I think he was just a little bit before that time, but he was like the inspiration for, for that next generation of New Zealand players that ended up beating Australia in a World Cup. Absolutely. All right, to our props and look, you can't go past probably one of the greatest props of all time. He had success at the Raiders. He had success at the Broncos. He had success at the Storm. His name is Glenn Lazarus, mm. and vote for him in One Nation. Oh, no, no, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I'm just joking. And he's also been in, in Parliament, but let's not talk about that. But as uh, the brick with eyes, they used to call him, one of the greatest props of all time. You can't go past him uh, in terms of he was definitely one of the greatest Raiders of all time. Um, and we've also thrown at the other prop position, Josh Papali in the modern time has really dominated as, as a, you know, one of the dominant props in his, uh, in his prime, in his peak. Um, so, yeah, uh, Lazarus, Papali, quick thoughts on those. Well, look, they are um, they are there instead of like players like Darren Fritz, right? So there you go, depth right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, and, and look, and we'll talk about also some of the players that missed out. But um, Steve Walters at at Hooker, again, I can't go past him. I think uh, you know. Before Cam Smith, Steve Walters was widely regarded as one of the greatest hookers of all time. He had lots of run-ins with Benny Elias at the, in that era. Um, and I think it's fair to say for the most part, you know, he was dominant. Uh, he was just well-rounded, had lots of skill, very tough, but also just did what he needed to do um, and did it well and uh and so you can't go. I can't go past Steve Walters as the greatest Canberra Raiders hooker of all time. Tish, final word on Steve Walters, and then we move on to the bench. Well, there's been many great Walters. Um, you know, the Walters brothers, Kerrid, Kevin, Johnny, and Steve Walters. Um, was it? Was there a Johnny? Johnny Walters? Or okay, um, but <laughs> I think Steve Walters was the best out of all of them. Um, I was, would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and I think actually Kevin Walters also played. So there you go. Like you know, Laurie Daly over Kevin Walters. Um, you know, Canberra. Like you know, they, they've been in the competition for not that long, but certainly some great players have gone past. Uh, you know, have gone through that club. So um, yeah, I think let's, let's and let's not bench. forget. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. So say that again. Oh, oh no, I was just yeah yeah continue. Sorry about that. No, 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 sorry. Uh, look, I was just going to say, let's not forget the other Walters brothers, uh, Alec, Billy, Cameron, Lockie, and Andrew. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, I'm confusing the Dados and the uh, the Baldwins. Anyway, um, yeah, the Walters are really one of the most successful families uh, in rugby league of all time. But yeah, I agree. Steve Walters, in my mind, top of that heap. Um, 
onto our bench. Uh, I'll quickly go through these. We've selected players that didn't quite make it, but could equally have substituted for some of the players within the squad themselves. We've gone for Jason Croker. Um, that's the father of Jared Croker, who in his day was, uh, I think he's still got the record for the most number of games in history for the Canberra Raiders. So longevity, but also was a major, you know, major part of that squad, uh, that, the successful Green Machine. He was one of the forgotten members of the Green Machine. Didn't reach the success of others, but he was, you know, a true Canberra Raiders club man through and through. John Lomax in the front row as well um, uh, miss uh, gets misses out on the top team but makes it onto the bench. And, uh, you know, notable mentions, didn't make it on the bench, but Quentin Pongia uh, could probably be talked about in the same mix there. Uh, also on the bench, Alan Tung, um, you know, very versatile as a backup to Ricky, uh, sorry, uh, to Steve Walters. Uh, could also play, you know, many roles. Um, and finally, Kenny Nagus, who could virtually play any role in the back, back line to support Nadruku and others, uh, was around the time when Nadruka was there as well on the wing. Um, and finally, coach, well, you can't go past Timmy Sheens as the greatest Raiders coach of all time. He was the reason why uh, a lot of these players developed into the superstars that they are. So, Tish, that is our greatest Canberra Raiders uh, team in the last 40 years. Um, pretty strong, I mean, strong team. It, a team that could defeat any team, I would say. Mm. Uh any of the greatest of teams, um, this one is really up there in terms of, uh, you know, once in a generation plays in almost every position. Tish, final words before we wrap this one up and move to the next tackle. Yeah, well, look, it sometimes is the fish that John West regrets. I mean, it's John West the best. I mean, there are other great players that we couldn't even put in this squad. Sam Bacco, you know, David Barnhill, Sean Hoppy. Um, you know, uh, Michael Maguire, like, you know, that, that's, that's the other thing, you know, they've been a nursery for, for NRL coaches, Michael Maguire, Craig Bellamy. Uh, I think even um, David Ferner had a bit of a go as well. Um, you know, Ricky Stewart, of course, Todd Payton um, as well, went through the club as well. Um, yeah. You know, 90 games there as well. So, I mean, pretty much, you know, if you played for Canberra, Anthony Seabold as well. Um, so, <laughs> All right, we could go on forever, yeah, but let's not. It, let's well, not. Pretty much the entire current NRL, play, like, uh, you, you more than likely would have played for Canberra than not. So, uh, well done, right. Canberra Raiders. I, I hope they have a, a victory um, this weekend against the Bulldogs, um, you know, celebrating their 40th. Yeah, happy birthday, Canberra Raiders. All right, tackle number five. Here we go. Tackle number five is, uh, look, more of an announcement that the uh, the Papua New Guinea government, along with the local governing body, PNG Rugby Football League, ha- are about to officially launch a team, uh, a bid to enter a team in the NRL. Um, so, the, you know, this has just been announced today. So we're yet to get some details, but really this the PNG uh, side is saying that they're, uh, they're trying to demonstrate strong credentials as a prospective participant by 2025. They're going to aim to join the league by 2030. Um, they're going to celebrate and showcase PNG's passion in the bid for the game, their talent in sporting talent and events hosting capability. 
And of course, let's not forget, PNG is the only country in the world where rugby league is a national sport. And they do already have a team, a club team, the Hunters, competing in lower lower tier league in Queensland. So look, it's going to be interesting to see. They obviously not trying to, um, you know, get there straight away, but they're probably in the mix in terms of discussing where the NRL needs to expand. Tish, very quickly, because we need to move on, uh, what are your thoughts on PNG's potential bid for an NRL licence? Yeah, look, I think it's really good news. It's welcome news. I like the fact that they're not trying to do it straight away, um, but they've got a long-term plan to get in there. What that means is they know that there are some gaps they need to fill before they can be ready to take on a full-blown NRL team, but they're going to work towards getting it, and they're probably going to work towards getting it um, sooner than what a lot of people think they're going to do. So I think it's going to be great for the game. And hopefully this also would see a bigger profile for the international team, um, which can can also do great things. Uh, let's not forget New Zealand with the in traditional Auckland Warriors in 1995. They ended up winning the World Cup in 2008, only 13 years later, right? Um, so we could be, you know, a decade or two away from uh, world champions PNG. I think bring it on. All right. Let's go into our final tackle, the round nine tips. Here we go. All right, so as you said, Tish, last week we were terrible. Three out of eight for me, four out of eight for you. That brings you into the lead, 42 for the year so far, and I'm on 41. Let's quickly go through the the games for this weekend. Souths and Brisbane on Thursday night at Stadium Australia. I'm tipping the Rabbitohs. Yeah, look, uh, the Rabbitohs to get revenge. Right, the Raiders and the Bulldogs on Friday night. Uh, it's a 6 p.m. game, so unfortunately it's not even televised. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, they or not televised on free-to-air. So, but I'm tipping the Raiders. I think they'll get over the line. Yeah, I think at home, finally the Raiders uh, can turn around their form with a victory. All right, the Battle of the West, Penrith Panthers against the Parramatta Eels, the Friday night game to watch uh, at Bluebird Stadium. I'm tipping the Eels to bounce back and remember and remind people that they're still here okay. uh, to defeat the defending premiers. I'm tipping arrogance over nepotism. Go the Panthers. <laughs> That's right. Fair <laughs> enough. Manly versus the Tigers on Saturday at 3 p.m., I'm tipping Manly. I think the Tigers have done well, but I think Manly are hurting after their loss to the Rabbitohs. Manly for me. Okay. In an ode to um, Tommy Radonikus, I say this match is Manly versus Western Suburbs Magpies, and I'm going to give it to the Magpies. Go the Magpies. All right. Uh, the Roosters and the Titans. Now, I think, uh, you know, the Roosters will probably be hurting, but I think the Titans... Um, I, I just get the feeling they're going to win this one. So Titans for mine. Yeah, look, I think the Roosters are going to bounce back in a big way against the Titans. Um, what? Well, yeah, Tedesco to have a big game. Cowboys and Knights. I think this will be an easy one for the Cowboys at home. Yep, the Andre Ponga Cup. And I'm going to tip the uh, North Queensland Cowboys. <laughs> All right. Storm <laughs> and Dragons. Now, the Dragons at Amy Park, 2 p.m. Sunday, Mother's Day game. <laughs> Do you see the Dragons doing it for their mums or not? 
I, I tip the storm. Look, I, I am also going to tip the storm. I don't think you could tip against Melbourne right now uh, based on their current form. And finally, the Sunday afternoon game, again, uh, Mother's Day, the Sharks against the Warriors. I think the Sharkies are going to do it for the Mothers, but also for uh, our Prime Minister, <laughs> ScoMo. Oh, ScoMo, uh, yeah, yeah. Sharks so, uh, mine. I suppose it's ScoMo versus Jacinta, right? Or uh, so... Look, yeah, I think. Um, look, I think the Sharks are going to win like that. They're probably going to. They're itching for a big win um, back from like you know the upset that Brisbane caused last week. All right. Well, I think that wraps up the tip in for round nine, and that wraps up the episode. This episode of the podcast, Tish, we've covered quite a lot, um, and yeah, I look forward to a great Mother's Day. All the mothers out there. Um, Get out there if you can to a game, or and hopefully you get to enjoy watching your team this weekend. With uh, and are appreciated by your family around you, um, Tish. Uh, on behalf of us, uh, please wrap us up. Well, thank you, Doctor Tanlight, to thank everybody for listening. Um, but unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Doctor T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now. <laughs>